This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome in to the Huskies Warming House Podcast, episode 155 here in the den. Nick Maxim with myself, Noah Grant. And boy, uh, we've got a show for you this week. Um, you. <laughs> I think to say the least. Uh, a lot of things to dissect. A lot of moving parts here that I'm hoping 90 to 100% of them are going to be accurate. We'll have to see here. I mean, we've got a lot of moving pieces in the college hockey world, especially that's always this time of year. As soon as teams start to exit the big dance, things start to really move. So we're going to try to... Mm -hmm do our best. Unfortunately, one of those teams was our St. Cloud State Huskies, but it was not without a valiant effort. I mean, a very tough regional for them that we're going to dissect. Um, so we're obviously going to talk about uh, not only the Fargo Regional, but every single regional as we get set for the Frozen Four in a couple of weeks. On top of that, we're going to talk about the brackets themselves, a little bit of bracket integrity and talk about the selection committee. It kind of seems to be the hot topic, so we figured we'd jump into that as well. And then we're going to talk about player moves in the NCAA, men's, women's, whatever we can kind of conjure up and see uh, where players are headed. Some guys have obviously signed NHL contracts on the men's side as well, too. So uh, and it seems like Michigan State must be the destination that everyone is enjoying. So <laughs> we're going to talk about that and more than our extra ice session. The NHL, the new jersey supplier, Fanatics, for the first time uh, in their essentially tenure as an official jersey supplier. Is that a good thing? People have mixed reactions. And it's, we're going to... It's not been fantastic news. Yeah. <laughs> We remind, we remind you it's Monday, the last weekend of March, uh, or the last week of March before we move into June, and uh, this is what we're coming up with here. So yeah. <laughs> without without further ado, we start, as always, with Center Ice View News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Part of that whisk, uh, that bleh, let's try that again, shall we? Part of that weekly roundup here, Noah, as I completely botched the opening of, of this segment, um, has been, uh, shall we say, Minnesota squad also vying for a championship and also coming up just short. My goodness, so the Minnesota Whitecaps in their first, uh, uh, essentially trip to the Isabel Cup final um, lost in overtime 4-3 to the Toronto Six. Uh, holy cow, first uh, um, Isabel Cup title for the Toronto Six. Uh, just 
unfortunately just a, a turnover in their own zone and led to a uh, an opportunity that slid one past uh, the Whitecaps goaltender. So a tough fight. I'll let that one go. But uh, congratulations yeah. to the Whitecaps making the Isabel Cup final. I know they had a pretty tough go to get there, but um, also tip of the cap to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, how about this, uh, Noah? The the timing of this couldn't be any worse if you were a, uh, yeah. a a fan of this fan uh, of this team. Arizona Coyotes, the minority owner Andrew Barraway, uh, was suspended indefinitely by the National Hockey League on Friday. Following, uh, he was arrested for domestic violence in Colorado. Um, now he spent Thursday night in is uh, a Pitkin County Jail mm-hmm. um, after the police arrested him at Aspen, uh, a hotel there in that city, on a felony uh, strangulation charge. I can't even imagine how. Yikes. Yikes, it doesn't sound good. Um, according to a police report obtained by the Aspen Daily News, um, yikes. So um, yeah. you're, I guess the only silver lining uh, to this, and, and mind you, there's no silver lining in a case like this concerning the actual charges, but if you're an Arizona Coyotes fan, this is the minority owner. So this less likely to, you know, shall we say, move the needle with dollars and cents, but you kind of wonder just because there's a public vote upcoming in the next, what, 45 days, does mm-hmm. this shake the confidence of the people of Tempe who are going to be putting their vote to this? Um, yeah, not good. Um, let's keep things moving here, Noah. Um, how about this? Um, this this is, was a disturbing video too, uh, and this has uh, now been formally charged. Three misdemeanor charges uh, filed uh, this past Monday against the Sun, of Philadelphia Flyers gym and former player. How about this? Daniel Briere, after a video had been posted on social media uh, of him, another Mercyhurst University athlete, uh, pushing an unoccupied wheelchair down a staircase. It looks like in uh, was a, a bar or some restaurant yep. in the place and uh, caused significant damage to that wheelchair. Uh, so it, it took them a little bit. Uh, apparently that social media post uh, was done before this was uh, made aware to both, uh, shall we say, the university and the local authorities, who uh, then since filed file those three charges uh, against, uh, is it Carson Breer? Yeah, Carson yep. Breer. So um, I know a GoFundMe was established um, you know, to try to, you know, I guess, repair or replace the wheelchair. I don't know what the status is on that. Yeah, actually, Actually, a really cool thing about that. So the gal who um, uh, the wheelchair belonged to, of course, some pictures on social media, she has, I I believe it's a right below the knee amputation uh, Mm -hmm. is what she has. So she has, to be frank, one and a half legs is essentially how it is. So obviously she's in a wheelchair. And the way that the bar is uh, designed is that to get down to the bathrooms, it's kind of a little awkward staircase that goes, is kind of along one of the walls that goes down there. And uh, of course, Breer pushed the wheelchair down and, you know, a bunch of the components kind of started shredding. And for people who work in the healthcare industry, I mean, I know a lot of people that I've heard thought that the video was funny. Yeah. It's funny till you own a wheelchair and you realize how much those things actually cost. Yes. Um, and she was a regular at the bar. So what essentially happened is there was someone there to carry her down to the bathroom and help her get into the bathroom and then would carry her back up the stairs to her wheelchair. Um, and actually one of the coolest things is, uh, she's commented on the social media pieces and the GoFundMe's and said that she's like, I don't need the money. And she's actually been donating it to charities. Um, which is absolutely awesome. I, I, I did not write down her name, but I, I did see it actually when I was on social media one night when I was up in Alaska. And just a, kind of a cool ending to what is otherwise kind of a disheartening story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you'd think obviously Carson Breer would have a lot better judgment about that. You know, and the thing that stinks is, you know, Dan Breer was forced to like make a comment on this. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? In the middle of his stuff, which I think is just 
just not great all around. No. And um, from what it sounds like, and you know, I'm not trying to dump on Carson Breer right now, but it sounds like this isn't the first sort of lack of judgment mm-hmm. uh, that he's had. Again, a former Arizona State commit and uh, in a piece, I believe that the Rink Live did a couple of years ago, uh, he essentially admitted that he didn't really take hockey seriously. He never saw, I think, a single game under that because he was, quote, on, on his own words, partying too much. And, uh, and then essentially was said excused from the team at least i think he was excused i don't think he withdrew himself i think he was excused by the organization although i'm not 100 sure on that uh and then had a second chance with mercyhurst and uh shall we say that um this is another lack of judgment per se you know and it's just, it's one of those things too where you know for someone that age and i'm not trying to you know throw excuses around but you, you just it's one of those just types of things where I think when you're young and you're, you're kind of in that moment that you don't necessarily understand the impact of that kind of decision. Right. It's to them, it's just a wheelchair it's thrown down and whatever. Right. Again, like you said, don't understand how expensive those things are and more so like the, the value of what the wheelchair means to that human being is it's their way to get around. Right. So, um, hopefully it's a, it's a lesson learned. Um, you know, we just, everybody can move on from it. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I did. things come along with aging. One of those being uh, veteran center Brian Boyle officially retiring mm-hmm. on Wednesday. He hasn't played this season, but played 14 NHL seasons. Of course, uh, won the Masterson in 2018 uh, after uh, after a medical diagnosis as well, too. I mean, he's 38 years old, um, 66 NHL games last year for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, his next step has already been decided. He'll be joining the NHL Network as a studio analyst, which I think he'll be fantastic for. Uh, 26th overall pick by the LA Kings back in 2003. That just doesn't sound right on a variety of chords, does it? Um, <laughs> 252 points in 871 career NHL games, 33 more in 124 playoff contests. So wishing him the best of luck. Also, uh, speaking of the Flyers, as we circle around that victory that uh, in the shootout against the Wild last week uh, was the 700th career win for career win for John Tortorella and also the Colorado Avalanche re-signing Jared Bednar to a three-year extension through the 26-27 season. No surprise. No. I think on any of those fronts. And then on the injury side of things, we've got three of them. Predators, Matt Duchesne, he's week to week with an apparent hand injury. Jacob Chikrin for the Senators out a couple weeks with a lower body ailment. And in Columbus, Patrick Line just seems to not escape the injury bug this year. Again, expected to miss two to four weeks after suffering a triceps strain. Welcome into the main portion of the show, episode 155 of the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Max and Noah Grant here to bring you this coverage. And uh, boy, what a uh, what a weekend all around for college hockey. It's yeah. in some in a good sense, but really probably one of the most non-competitive weekends of mm-hmm. a regional NCAA tournament that we've seen in some time. Um, yeah, about that. So, yeah, so we'll dissect that obviously as we get farther along into this, but obviously I think we're gonna you know start with our St. Cloud State Huskies. I of course am back from Alaska, had a really great time uh, with that. I mean, it was a great ten days off, but getting back up to speed. Nick and I were just talking about it. I think I might still be a little jet lagged. I got off the plane on Thursday. Ironically enough, actually, had I known that the Huskies were going to be in the Fargo Regional, um, which I booked my ticket two months in advance, I probably could have actually got off the plane and then been able to mosey my way over actually to Fargo and make it just in time. But of course, you never really know those things till after. Um, so I landed Thursday, actually had a 200 question exam on Friday morning and then jumped in my car Saturday to go to the regionals, came back Saturday night. Um, and then I've kind of tried to recuperate, actually had a job interview this morning on Monday and actually 
now officially have been hired by the hospital here as well, too. So it's been oh, it's been kind of a wild weekend, and I'm still trying to kind of catch up on a little bit of sleep and other things uh, in my neck of the woods. Nick, um, before we talk about the regionals, uh, a lot of people were surprised to actually not see you at the Fargo Regional. What the heck? What were you doing? Working. <clears throat> yeah, I figured you were. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, actually, a fun part of the show, I, we actually had at least five shout-outs uh, on the concourse that I was around there. Of course, four of those coming from groups of Huskies fans. Uh, that was awesome to hear about. And one of them actually coming from a pair of Gopher fans, ironically enough. Um, so that was kind of, a, kind of an interesting. How do we feel about that? Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Are we like a laughing stock? Are we like, you know, the cue card that you, you chuckle at when you go through the pieces or anything i'm not really sure but uh with that being said why don't we jump into the regionals here nick we'll go from we'll go backwards from allentown bridgeport manchester and then we'll finish with the fargo regional of course uh so mm -hmm. actually probably the most exciting game that we had all weekend came yesterday penn state and michigan uh thought the nittany lions were going to hang on here and they didn't a couple of power play goals uh one each way for uh both teams in period number uh two and three yeah yeah and then michigan uh uh, Fantilli, the two to one winner in overtime, seals the deal. Three of the four number one seeds actually. Wasn't it Samuskevich that? Oh, it might have been. Yeah, I think yeah, Fantilli had. Samus, Fantilli, I think, uh, had an assist, but it was it was Samuskevich that had the overtime winner. What a wicked release that that was um, on the oh, drum. Fantilli had the game tying goal. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, Samus Gavich actually had two points in that game, had had a point on both of those plays. So, uh, yeah, Michigan, uh, the number three seed in the country, they make it to the big dance. Uh, of course, uh, Colgate was trounced by them 11 to 1. Um, and I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, I know a lot of people had talked about, they're like, well, you know, Alaska would have better, been a better fit than Colgate, obviously, in that, in that matchup. And I'm like, well, to be fair, Colgate... <laughs> They earned the opportunity, you know. I mean, they didn't play well, but they earned the opportunity. Um, they were not an at-large bid like Michigan Tech was, although I don't know why Tech made the trip. Um, eight to nothing. Yikes. Penn State, when, I mean, they were, I mean, they. they yeah. Called I mean, that one, hate to say it, but. Yeah, I know. I yeah. Mean, we talked about it in the MNCA group chat. I mean, they look like the Canadian exhibition game you schedule in September. I mean, they like, it's they, and I, and I jokingly said they haven't won a foot race in the last five weeks. I mean, they were, I mean, they, that looked like they had no business on that ice sheet. I mean, no. And it's, it's sad, right? Because Michigan tech showed so much promise the first, what, yeah. three quarters of the season. Yeah. And then, you know, in, in a very just weird way. And this is how sometimes these things work is you just hit a rough patch and they just weren't really able to get out of it. And, you know, they were playing their worst hockey headed into this into this matchup. And it, it certainly showed, uh, I think, not only obviously the scoreboard, but you can just see on the ice that there was just uh, confidence was missing. Again, they're just, uh, I don't know, like you, it's it's hard to put a finger on it, but it just did not look like they were uh, ready for that game. Put it to you that way. Yeah, no, they definitely didn't. Uh, let's go over to the Bridgeport Regional. This, this one, of course, along with Allentown that we just mentioned were the Friday-Sunday matchups. Merrimack losing to Quinnipiac five to nothing. Not much of a surprise there. Uh, and then Ohio State Harvard. Um, I knew we knew the Big Ten was good, and we knew Ohio State was still a decent team when they, you know, found their groove. Eight to one was the final score on this one. I mean, Harvard, the number six team in the country. I, that must have been a very jarring mm -hmm. bus ride back home. Um, and then Ohio State Quinnipiac, the final four to one for Quinnipiac, but really it was one goal hockey game until about five minutes left. That goal that's in the air that just squeaks over the goal line. That was had, to go to, 
yeah, I had to go to video review and they brought that one back. And then of course an empty netter to seal the deal, actually somewhat akin to the Huskies game, to be honest with yeah, you, nice. um, was rooting for Ohio state in this one. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but that Quinnipiac team, they are out of all the teams that have come out of the East Boston university, obviously as well. Um, but those two teams really were the favorites to come out of both of those, uh, respective draws that they got and they have. Um, yeah. so, uh, this Quinnipiac team, uh, did you get a chance to take in the Ohio state game at all yesterday? Yeah. If you did, if you didn't, that's okay. I mean, uh, what do you think about Quinnipiac? I feel like every year they're the team that offers us something a little bit different compared to what we're usually used to seeing out West. Uh, first of all, Yaniv Peretz, again, he is, he's solid in that. Uh, but more importantly, I think what gets underestimated with Quinnipiac and I think myself includes, they've got some explosive firepower up front. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably the biggest difference I've noticed from them last year. Like they were definitely a team that, you know, their offense comes by committee. It's it kind of generally only has that been, but they seem to have a little bit more high end skill this year, uh, a little bit more offensive creativity. So um, you combine that with a 200 foot game and a really good goaltender. They're kind of, shall we say, the sleeper you know, number one overall regional seed coming into this matchup um, and, uh, you know, taking down Ohio State, too. That's, you know, that yeah. Ohio State had a really good game. Don't get me wrong. That was a heck of a mm-hmm. hockey game. And uh, Quinn and Biak just stuck to their game plan and got, shall we say, a bounce. And, yeah, we're able to get one, that two to one uh, goal again that was uh, originally a save. And then they went to review and it was definitely over the goal line. Uh, got it done, right? They just uh, they were the more aggressive team, uh, better on zone exits, uh, to put it that way. They were just a, just a more complete team. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Thursday, Saturday matchup, the Manchester Regional. Nick's favorite in terms of his bracket, I'm sure. Um, yeah, about that. <laughs> so in case anyone was curious, by the way, of course, I did the math. Uh, did I do it well? I'm not sure. Of course, Nick, 7 for 10 on his bracket. I'm 9 for 10 on mine. The only one I missed was actually the Huskies matchup. Uh, Nick has a maximum of 12 out of 15 points available, uh, and I've got a maximum of 13. So, um, And the only uh, the, the thing is, the bottom halves of our brackets look the same. So you can get points for Minnesota, but you just can't quite get there, unfortunately. So thank you. Thanks for coming. See you later. Um with that being said, though, yeah, everyone called me crazy. Number four, Denver versus Cornell. And I tell you what, man, 2 nothing. Cornell gets the job done. I think this ruined a lot of brackets for a lot of people, obviously. It did. Um, this was the most surprising upset, I think, for the entire uh, semifinals of the regionals, right? And not just because of the result, but Denver just did not look good at all. Yep. Um, I think that, uh, and possibly me, I mean, you know, Corona was back in net. And uh, they just they didn't seem to be on their game. Um, you know, we certainly thought that after the NCHC exit, we've seen that before. Um, sort of a calculated move again by David Carl uh, in this team just, you know, continues to find ways, you know, going into the games that shall we say, quote unquote, more matter. Um, they did not look like the team that yeah. turned it on um, in the regionals. So that was a bit surprising to me, um, especially, yeah. you know, being shut out two times in a row. Granted, the first one I give kind of a pass to just because of the reasons already stated, but um, I'm not sure if it, I'm, I'm going to give a hot take. It wasn't more or less Cornell played them. I think Denver just wasn't up to their, to their game plan. And, really. And, and we kind of talked about that too. And like I said, I, even though I picked Cornell, I didn't necessarily disagree with the take that Denver could, if they were on their game, have a really good, you know, yeah. run. But I think the question marks in goal. And then what we saw, obviously in the NCHC frozen faceoff, kind of just left us with that feeling of like, okay, well maybe it just was the same thing we saw last year, but like, what if it's not, you know, and we kind of ran injuries. into that. 
where Cornell was the number 13 team in the country. And like you said, it wasn't that Cornell had this massive amount of firepower. But I tell you what, if there's any team besides the Huskies and maybe Penn State and Ohio State, um, like if you picked one team out of each bracket, Cornell was the team that I think was the biggest surprise in terms of how well they were in both the games that they played. They, I mean, they mm-hmm. truly gave themselves a chance to almost go to a Frozen Four. I don't remember the yeah. last time Cornell's been in a Frozen Four. Um, so that would have been that would have been really would would have been really interesting. The only number one seed to actually not make it out of their bracket and also not make it out of the first round was Denver. Uh, on the other side, Western Michigan, Boston University. You had uh, the Broncos. Boy, they Yikes. yeah, they didn't. They looked very flat footed too. Uh, BU wins this one five to one. Uh, was yeah. this? I, I I know that Denver was the biggest upset, but out of the two, which one of these was more surprising to you? Would it almost be Western Michigan? No, I mean, I, I think I underestimated BU, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I thought Western Michigan, if if they, they're not the most defensive team, put it to that way, I figured they would have more offense, but BU is mo- a lot more complete. I'll, I'll, I'll admit I overlooked that quite a bit. Um, and maybe it's my West and then CHC bias that also got in the way with that too. I'll, I'll right just that. remember that Massachusetts is a state of hockey. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. No, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> Um, but, but to know, I still think Denver was the bigger surprise. Uh, again, I think, you know, granted there was still some injury questions with Denver, but they've always been a team that, you know, come this time of the year, you know, was able to put together a solid effort. They just did not look the same team that we saw heading into even before the, you know, the first round of the NCHC, uh, playoffs. So that I think is more surprising and maybe, um, it just maybe just something we just didn't take enough credit for. You know, I know a lot of teams are banged up around this time this year, but I don't know. I, that's the only thing I can think of because we know how good David Carl is as a coach. We know how well those teams can play. And it just, they did not look the same. I, I felt maybe they were more banged up than we thought. Yeah. Cornell does play BU. They lose two to one to the Terriers and the Terriers uh, get their ticket to the frozen four and their matchup. Not exactly going to be favorable, but they did no. make the big dance. Uh of course, Canisius, <laughs> for the first half of this hockey game, I tell you what, uh, <laughs> I <Yikes>. fans <laughs> were uh, kind of shaking in their boots before Minnesota scored nine unanswered, including six in the third period to kind of end cap oh, that one very five quickly. major, right? Penalty turned that game around. Yeah. Um, um, actually, funny enough, I, um, Ken Oda, who, of course, you know, is for with the Toros, actually him and Peter were in attendance on Thursday night because they were headed down to North Iowa. We're not going to talk about that weekend either, too, by the way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, oh, boy, they North Iowa has single-handedly pushed the Toros out of a playoff spot and might not, might not recover, unfortunately. Um, in three of those four games, the Toros probably should have won. Yikes. Um, but anyway, uh, Canisius definitely should have won this one, but it took a while for fans to realize that. Uh, right. Minnesota... Um, nine to two of course is the final and then st cloud beats mankato four to nothing we'll jump into that in a second but it's interesting in the first round of games the winning teams outscored the losing teams 52 to five two of those goals coming from canisius the the last place team in this bracket um that's an interesting t- statistic, but I was going to mention that ken said actually canisius was playing really well until their stud defenseman who was a former toro actually got hurt so um yeah take yeah. that what, what you will but let's jump over to the st cloud game here um you know i don't know that st cloud was necessarily that great in this game against mankato uh thanks for jackson caster on that one and i think it kind of got to a point where mankato was a little frustrated and the huskies found some magic in the third period to kind of close the door which is something we hope they would entering tournament time how did you see this hockey game 
Same thing. First uh, period and a half, they were not good. They were on their heels. Mankato was controlling the puck in the offensive zone. I thought St. Cloud also wasn't taking, shall we say, some of those relief you know, type plays off the glass and out. Uh, still trying to move the puck up with possession, which I get. It's what you want to do. But sometimes when you're caught in your zone 60 to 75 seconds, that puck's just got to get out. And, uh, you know, they, there were some, definitely some chances that Mankato missed too. Let's not, you know, let's, uh, let's not kid ourselves. And then again, um, a penalty call, a, a bit of a soft call. I would say VD sold that one. There's no yeah. question about it. Uh, but then VD taking advantage of it. Right. And I think when you combine a, a Husky team that was reeling Mankato, you could certainly see some frustration building. Then they get scored on a power play. Um, it woke St. Cloud up. It finally got them to relax. And then for Mankato, you could just see the sticks starting to get gripped a little bit tighter. Just weren't able to really get into the game after that. St. Cloud uh, finally got to their game, suddenly settled things in, and you know it was theirs from the from there on out. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that was kind of the theme of the Fargo Regional is that uh, teams that really didn't have a lot of life suddenly got a spark. Um, you know, you look at Minnesota's, which came probably at the end of period number two in their game. And then for St. Cloud, you know, finding a bounce in period number three, Minnesota on the same side when they played St. Cloud in that championship game. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, very the final score, of course, for the St. Cloud uh, Minnesota game four to one uh, as Minnesota takes this one. But really, it was not a four to one. No hockey game. Uh, however, Period number one was all Gophers, and St. Cloud yes. was very lucky to not be down about three or four nothing in the first period. Jackson Caster made a couple of really key saves to keep that game one to nothing. Really nice bumper play off of the end wall for the lone goal in that first period for the Gophers. And then the Huskies tie it up uh, with Ingram's wrister on the power play. I, I thought St. Cloud's power play looked exceptionally good, uh, especially in that hockey game, um, and especially you looked at how deadly Minnesota's power play was St. Cloud matched them eye for eye. So anytime that the Huskies were able to get a power play and the officiating was atrocious as we went through the night it, yeah. through the first period, I was kind of like, ah, and I know we talked about it in our private group chat where I was like, I wasn't quite, quite necessarily ready to say that it was poor. But then once we went through period two and especially period number three, the officiating not good. was not consistent. It was not, if you were a Gophers fan, I totally get the frustration. They, you know, they probably could have earned about two more calls uh, in, in that, in that game alone. Um, but then Minnesota gets back on the board, uh, you know, makes it a two to one hockey game. Uh, and suddenly we had to period number three. I thought the second period was a little bit more even. Uh, it was probably, yep about 50-50, um, all things considered. And then in the third period, St. Cloud came out on a mission. You could tell exactly what the mentality was, is that yep. they were going to be the aggressor. Um, unfortunately, missing a, a, what we would call a wide-open net. In fact, that play was actually right in front of me. But I think it's easy to look at that and say, oh, how do you miss that net? Well, when you've got a... Yeah, you got a puck that's on edge rolling. You've got a defenseman draped all over you and another one trying to redirect that puck. And you're shooting on your on hand six inches above the goal line trying to tuck that puck back against the grain that's a tough play um and i think the only reason it bites is because minnesota had very little life in that third period and then a seeing eye puck from jackson lacombe yeah suddenly gives them that spread and there was eight and a half minutes left in that hockey game and as soon as that puck went in i think as a huskies fan you kind of knew you knew that a two goal lead in that hockey game was was going to be enough gonna feel like a lot and then of course the empty netter off the glass to seal the deal but um, a couple things that I kind of wanted to pull out. Number one, um, boy, there's a lot of people who don't know hockey, even in Gopherland. <laughs> you don't say. Yeah, let's just put that out there right now. But uh, you know, it was a very enjoyable game. In fact, I actually was sitting next to the athletic director for uh, Elk River 
Um, and we had a nice, we had a nice discussion about it. Uh, and he actually talked to, um, I had a chance to catch up with Jim Erickson who he actually know Jim knows Jim oh, yes. very well. Cause Jim of course calls some of those games. So I got the chance to, uh, to check out, uh, the crew over there, saw him and Dave, um, actually did not get a chance to talk to the KBSC guys. They all had their headsets on and they were all business. So they were actually right yep. next to him, but I didn't get a chance to catch up with them. Um, and that was before the game, uh, but I'm kind of curious for you, Nick, uh, before we dive into the particulars, how did the game look on TV? Because it's been a while since I've been live at a college hockey game and the pace of play for me looked fast. Um, it was a fast game. Yeah, it looked good. Again, Gophers own the first 20 minutes, like you mentioned, uh, a lot of great A chances. Uh, easily could have been down multiple goals at the end of 20. Jackson Castor uh, keeping his team in it. Uh, then again, that uh, Adam Ingram, that release, uh, so very good, uh, finding that uh, uh, spot 11 inches off the ice, again, below the glove and above the pad uh, to tie it. But then again, that little lapse, right? This is what separates the golfers from the Huskies, right? Is that little bit of awareness and Logan Cooley, you know, yeah. essentially in a transition play, splitting the D. And uh, you know that Huskies defensemen are watching that tape and they're yeah. crap, you know? And that's the thing is he doesn't need much. If you're already, because here's the thing with Logan Cooley, if you're even with him, he's already behind you. He's just that quick. Um, and he, he found a nice, softer, great heads up play. It wasn't that favor that fed him that puck yeah, too. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And uh, um, a bit of vindication here. He took a very abhorrent penalty slashing uh yami kronla off the face off too earlier in that mm -hmm. hockey game so i think if you're bob monsko you got to be pretty pleased with the response there pleased with that yep so then uh golfers take the lead and again those the th uh, third period pushed by st cloud again if that uh puck settles for kuka he's able to put that in who knows what happens that uh, you this game could have easily gone to overtime uh but then again no not much later, the, off the draw, and then, like you said, a CNI shot, and that was a bomb by Jackson Lacombe. That had a lot of zip to it, and again, just perfectly placed. Uh, Caster, uh, you know, didn't you know, just didn't yeah didn't catch up to it. And and it's almost ironic because, uh, and you could hear the chatter all around the rink. St. Cloud was, in fact, I don't have the, for once, I don't actually have the full uh, official game notes pulled up. I probably should. St. Cloud felt like they were absolutely dominant on face-offs, which, which is not something you say a whole lot when it comes to... the golfers. Exactly. It's not something you say a lot uh, when it comes to Huskies hockey. And ironically enough, one of the few draws they lost in that third period ended up being that goal from the point. Um Yep. So, in fact, I I would be remiss if I actually didn't pull this up. So, I actually want to take a look. Let's look at the box score here and see what we see. Uh, obviously, shots here were 30 to 28 uh, at the end of this. And don't forget, it was 14 to 6 Minnesota after the first period. 9-7 for the Huskies in the second and 13-9 for period number three. I mean, it felt like St. Cloud got stronger and stronger, obviously, as the game went along. Uh, as far as faceoffs are concerned, uh, St. Cloud was 32 wins, 28 losses. So a little bit tighter than I think I'd expected. Eight total power plays between the two teams. The Huskies, the only ones to capitalize on five opportunities to go first. 0 for 3. I mean, it's exactly yeah. what we talked about for St. Cloud. If they wanted to have a chance, they had to be good on the other side of special teams. And really, their special teams helped them. Um, I... I, I had this conversation uh, with one of the ice guys after the game, actually. And I talked about it. I said, I think if St. Cloud ties that hockey game in the third period, I don't know that Minnesota comes back from that. I, you know, like the way St. Cloud played um, one of their best efforts of the season. And I think the thing that really minus maybe the first 15 to 20 minutes, but I think the thing that bites is if it's anybody, but Minnesota, Michigan, and maybe Quinnipiac, St. Cloud's in Tampa right now. 
Yeah, I, I don't doubt that. Uh, I think that um, it, it's it's hard to obviously know hindsight and, you know, we can call the what ifs, but, you know, because that's the thing with Minnesota, when, when, when St. Cloud tied it, you know, that you know, beautiful look up the middle, that's what that elite yeah. talent can do to you, right? They can exploit that just a little bit of um, hockey IQ, that breathing room and splitting the D, just having that, shall we say, the wherewithal to try to, you know, stretch a play and then Brock Faber. I mean, that's that's an NHL, you know, caliber um, just look, right? Whether yeah. that play actually ends up in a goal, that's a heck of a look uh, in transition, seeing the opening, um, you know, through the two defenders there. Um, uh, I don't know, Noah, if I'm sure in that, but it does... Because at the end of it, you know, if Kine- you can say the same thing about Canisius too. I mean, that kept that game close and close. And, you know, it wasn't until that major penalty that, you know, the Gophers finally found like, okay, well, now we can open up the shooting gallery. And, well, things took over from there. Um, there's a chance there, right? And if St. Cloud uh, does tie that hockey game, you kind of wonder, does Minnesota push back? I would assume they do. And, uh, you know, if they're able to hold off, you know, maybe a shift from each of their lines that, you know, the nice, coolie, snug, rude line, and then a couple of others. Uh, I thought also Mason Neighbors was really, really good in that game, too, um, you know, for uh, for the Gophers. But uh, hard to say, right? Um, it, it stinks because I I, I think that it the, the St. Cloud had a chance. They really, really yeah, did. They did. And some of these guys, too. I mean, one of the things that impressed me, especially live, how about the development of a guy like Micah Miller, for example, and seeing what yep. he was his sophomore and junior year and seeing the player and the person he's become. That dude was an animal uh, the other night uh, in Fargo. I mean, and you could see the adjustment too. I mean, say what you want about Brett Larson's coaching style and this and that. You could tell that their transitional game and their zone exits and they were turning pucks over right inside the blue line. It was poor to start that you know the first 20 minutes of that game and then as soon as you went into period number two the transitional game and the scheme in which they were exiting the zone how they flied the weak side winger and were able to kind of create some separation with the gopher defenseman the breakouts were instantaneously different uh so you you saw that adjustment and then in period number three st cloud started to win pucks on the offensive side and started to create cycles and opportunities there just that third goal was just such a backbreaker. You know, you, 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 you try to claw so hard to get that second goal. Credit Justin Close. Uh, you know, there's been question marks about him uh, at times this season. He was lights out. Uh, he was you know. lights out the third, right? When Huskies were pushing again, you know, he made a couple of saves towards the end of the hockey game. Granted, you could argue whether that was within reach or not. But uh, third, there was an onslaught, right? Uh, there was traffic in front of him and uh, he stood tall, right? And, um, you know, going back to your point with St. Cloud, first period, they did not know how to get away from the 2-1-2 neutral zone four check. Yeah. And they did not. And, uh, you know, and part of you know, what drove me nuts and something we've talked about before is sometimes St. Cloud defensemen, because they're flying up three forwards, right? They really want to stretch out the ice. And uh, when you got two forwards on you, it's like, where do you go? Right. So they were still content about just pat either indirect passes or trying to find somebody that was essentially at the red line, right? They really wanted to move it out. There was nothing there. But more importantly, the defensemen didn't skate. Right. Yep. There was there was uh, there was ice in front of him. Jack Peart, I think at times I said this in the NCHC frozen face off. I did vote for him uh, to be, you know, play an NCHC turn, you know, play a, you know, tournament essentially winner. And uh, you can tell when Jack Peart's on his game, if he's skating like he did a couple of times and using his feet, he looks really good when he's when he stops moving his feet, when he's just looking to make that pass. And I don't want to say it's lazy feet because, you know, he he. he 
I think he doesn't get enough credit for how good his IQ is. I think maybe it's still just a little bit behind the pace at times, but he's yeah. seeing the ice correctly. He's not trying to sell as he turn the puck over. He's not trying to force a play that isn't there. Uh, but half the time, sometimes the answer for him is just to move his feet. And sometimes yeah. he gets a little bit sandbaggish with his, with his stride. Yeah, it's all about the urgency and being intentional about the first move that you make. And I think my personal opinion uh, when I was there is I I even said it to the guy next to me. I said, I said, Jack Peart's having a tough night because there he had some rushes where he was creating, but there were some plays where he would be in the zone and he had maybe one guy on him and he had an outlet on the weak side. His defensive partner was there and he had a winger coming back to support him on the near side. And instead he just kind of didn't make the first play and two of the times ended up in turnovers where now you're defending in the defensive zone. Um, There was a lot of talk about obviously guys that were going to stay and going to go. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, but um, you know, people mention, Oh, is Jack peered on his way out And this? Like I said, we love Jack and you know, we wish him the best and we know what he's capable of. He's not ready. No, he's He's not not ready. Um, And, and that's, you know, those are some of the examples of things where you look at that and say, you know, if he can find a way to, it's not even the defensive part of his game. It's, it's mitigating turnovers, mitigating, you know, decisions that are poor decisions when you're the last defenseman back, when you're kind of caught in no man's land. That's what makes good defensemen great. You look at your Dylan Anhorns, you look at your Nick Perbix, they get a puck all alone in the corner and you go, oh my gosh, one on two, like they're not going to get out of this. And suddenly they know that two guys are on them. Someone else is open. They're drawing players to them. And then they're using that to their advantage to create opportunities up the ice. That's where Jack Peart needs to kind of create that next opportunity is, you know, He's not winning those one-on-one battles at times. He's got to first get to that point, and then you can start to be that offensive catalyst that we know he's capable of once you start to piece those pieces together. And maybe this is the other thing, too. Sometimes I feel like he, you know, the simple play. Sometimes, I mean, yeah. how many times have we seen him off the glass and out or mm-hmm. flip out of the zone? I've rarely seen and, that from him, right? And, and that was also a piece, even just watching the game, where I think, you know, and obviously nothing you can do about it now. The season's over. But St. Cloud, a lot of times, did the safe play, which is not necessarily a bad thing, getting pucks off the glass, alleviating pressure. But there were times, and this goes back to communication on the ice, and this goes back to noticing this as a coaching staff, where there were times where a defenseman or you know the centerman coming in to help along the wall would get the puck, and their first thought is, oh, off the glass, off the glass, off the glass, and you look – And there's two guys wide open on the weak side of the ice. And it's like, all you got to do is take the extra half second, pick your head up. And you've got an outlet to either your D partner or you're hitting. There were multiple times I thought where St. Cloud had the weak side winger um, that turned into the strong side winger at times where they had that outlet bump pass up the ice, two zones ahead where they had an opportunity to create an odd man rush, or at least a one-on-one situation entering the zone. And they just didn't quite see it in that game. Now, Minnesota, give them credit. They're a, very well-oiled machine. I mean, St. Cloud essentially for the majority of that game is a one goal hockey game against the number one team in the country and probably the scariest team when all components are running, yep. you know, concurrently. So um, what did you want to add anything else about the regional game? Let's start there. No, uh, at the end of it, uh, I, I think, you know, St. Cloud put up a hell of a fight again. You know, you're, you're going to always, you know, I, I feel bad for Kupka, man. You know, we've seen that yeah. in his nightmares. Um, yep. Again, you know, for those who, uh, it's easy to watch him TV and like you mentioned and say, how does he not pick that up? But how many times have you and I been, you know, on on the post and the puck's coming through and whether, let's say it's a sauce pass, right? Sometimes it just doesn't land flat. Uh, yep. Sometimes it's knocked by a stick and you're just trying to get anything on it to get into the net. And it just either, it's, it's what? It's a game of inches, right? It's either over the stick, under the blade uh, and you just can't get a handle on it. And, 
damn, you know, again, you know, you just wonder if that, that puck gets put in the nets too, too, where may, we may be having an entirely different conversation right now. Yeah. I might have another five OT game there. Uh, and, you know, and that's uh it's interesting. I have another question before we kind of dissect the Huskies as a whole here, because really hard to be a little bit to be desired, I think, at the start of the Mankato game. But overall, hard to be disappointed with the last couple of weeks for this Huskies team. I mean, no, you know, especially uh, finish finishing fourth in the NCAC. But and I, I want to open that up. But the one thing I wanted to mention, just because you made it kind of pop in my head. Did you notice that a lot of pucks seem to not be settling down along the boards in that hockey game where it seemed like defensemen were having a tough time corralling pucks that were coming at the wall because they were bouncing and kind of on edge? Um, Interestingly enough, when I had a conversation uh, with a couple of people in the arena that are in the know, let's just put it that way, uh, when it comes to the ice. Uh, also, by the way, uh, Corey from the Herbergs National Hockey Center was actually the lead guy again this weekend for the NCAA, and uh, that crew was a very well-oiled machine. Um I heard this comment from more than one person who was kind of in the know how true it is. I'm not particularly sure it's a moot point because it affects both teams, but I wanted to mention it anyway. They talked about that. There was, I don't think it was a decision by the NCAA, but there was something where they were having trouble making sure the puck stayed frozen over the course of the weekend. And they said, well, a lot of people have pointed to the ice and they said, one of the ways that you can notice that it's not necessarily ice is look at all the passes that are going across the ice or up in transition. And those pucks are staying flat. They said when the pucks are getting in the air and they're going off the boards or off, you know, off the glass and then they're landing, they're not sitting flat because the pucks, for those who don't know this, when you don't freeze pucks, shocker, they're not as solid, but it also means that the rubber has a more higher tendency to bounce yeah Yeah. and kind of rebound a little bit and you get these pucks that are bouncing and they don't settle down effectively i think we kind of saw that on both ends of the ice in that hockey game i just wanted to point that out i don't know if that's true i'm not i'm not saying the ncaa didn't freeze their pucks but it they kind of made it sound like they for whatever reason the pucks were not where they normally were and it's again it's a moot point because it doesn't it affects both teams it doesn't give anybody an advantage but I thought it was kind of interesting. And I was curious, did you notice any of that on the broadcast oh, yeah. where guys were struggling? But it, well, just the puck was lively, right? They mentioned yeah. on the inboards, uh, you know, weird caroms in that building too. Weird caroms off the glass and even at the Zam door a couple of times, uh, you know, behind, uh, I think it was behind Castor one of those times that we you know kind of gave Minnesota yeah. could have been a, a, a gift, if you want to call yeah, it. Came back through underneath him. Yeah. Yeah. Weird, right? So, but like you said, it's, it's moot because again, it's both teams have to deal with it. Um, you know, unfortunately for for the Huskies, whether it's in 2019, it's the actual ice itself, or was the pucks up there in Fargo? Apparently, there's some kind of curse in that building, yeah. uh, where you just can't get the right conditions from both, both the ice and as well as the puck. But as you get, you know, you got to play through it, right? It's adversity. Um, St. Cloud again, the final score four to one. I think we all can agree that you know it doesn't really codify how close that game was. It was yeah. much closer than we think. But again, that uh, that that slap shot from Lacombe. Yeah, at the back and then that was that was where trouble started to creep in 100%. Boy, what an atmosphere though. Uh, 5,326 in that building and they said it was a record for one of the regionals. So I you know I thought it was awesome. There was a lot of maroon and gold there. I'm not going to lie to you, but the Huskies faithful definitely were, were making some noise especially down on the end that the Huskies were defending for two periods. Uh so it was awesome to see a lot of people obviously there and um I think one of the moments for me that um was 
kind of cool. I and I'm sure a lot of people don't know this on this on this podcast. So I guess this is the first time I'm likely telling this story, which doesn't happen often for many stories on this show at this point anymore. Um, but when I, of course, growing up, we've talked about this, that I was obviously a Gophers fan before I went to St. Cloud. Um, and I grew up obviously watching Frank Mazzocco and Doug Woog on TV, right? And then Frank, of course, moved to the radio side of things. And when I was a junior in high school, it was almost 10 years ago now, uh, we ended up going to a Gophers weekend series at the Sanford Center in Bemidji and watching the Gophers. They ended up sweeping the weekend. And we were at Green Mill that Saturday night. And actually, Frank uh, um, came in and they were eating and they ended up being kind of like kitty corner from us. And remember, uh, we just kind of ended up striking up a small conversation and stuff. And I had my ticket still. And he actually signed my ticket uh, and that sort of thing. And I got to take that home. And, and it was awesome, you know, for me, because, you know, because that was my childhood. I was watching him like the 2007 WCHA Final Fire game where, uh, you know, you have the diving goal to end that Mike one. Yeah. yeah, that was probably, regardless of the goal, you go back and watch that game. I think it's on YouTube. Probably one of the best hockey games that's ever been that was played. a hell of a game. I mean, so for me, it was kind of awesome, you know, getting to meet him. And we fast forward and, of course, doing what we do now. And I never expected that I would end up broadcasting hockey games or anything. I always regretted not, you know, getting a picture, getting a chance to kind of, you know, talk to him for a couple of minutes and it just so happened that I walked up and said hi to Pat Micheletti who of course was obviously on the gopher broadcast and it just so happened that they were in commercial for about five minutes so I sat down and I introduced myself and I thought it was absolutely hilarious because you know I said Frank you know my name's Noah and I said you know I, I used to work kind of next to Pat at St. Cloud State and the first thing he said to me was oh I'm so sorry for you <laughs> <laughs> which, which I thought was kind of funny, but I uh, had a nice little conversation with him about it and told him the story. And I said, you know, you know, obviously looked up to you growing up as a kid. I said, would you mind taking a picture? And he was able to take a picture with me, uh, you know, at the game. And so I thought for me personally, that was probably one of the highlights of the weekend. And, you know, I, I thank him for that, you know, it for, for whatever reason, if he's ever actually gets a chance to listen to our show, because I mean, he sat down, he took the time, you know, he, he just talked to me. We talked about the game. We talked about nursing. We talked about a bunch of different things over the course of a couple of minutes um, and just an absolutely cordial human being. And I think about guys like him, guys like Jim Erickson, obviously, who have followed this Huskies team over the past couple of years, too, and what he did for us when we were broadcasters up there as well and his ability to kind of reach out to us, too. Um, guys like that and, and women, for that matter, are what make the game of hockey go around and what makes even a tough loss against the Gophers a little bit more palatable is you know that there's good people on both sides of the coin. Um, and for me, I just want to throw that out there. It was a real highlight for me over the weekend getting to have that opportunity. It was a great picture that uh, obviously was really exciting for me. But obviously with the Gophers moving on, uh, of course, they play at 4 o'clock Central on April 6th, which is a Thursday. They've got Boston University. The 7.30 primetime game that night is Michigan and Quinnipiac. The national championship game is April 8th on that Saturday at 7 o'clock Central time. Of course, down in Tampa, Emily Arena. Nick will be down there, I believe. Possibly. Possibly. Okay. So um, we'll have to see on that one. I'm going to assume some of that probably has something to do with the results of last weekend, maybe. Some of it does, yep. Yeah. Um, but let's kind of circle back here. Um, the Husky season, and we're going to dissect this, I think, a lot more in depth probably next week, just talking yep. about who stays, who goes. I think it's just very fitting for the week too early yeah. in between um, and some of the moves that we're going to see. But honestly, Nick, we talked about how late January, early February, late February even, 
this team at some point, I think it was like they went nine of 10 games without a regulation win. I mean, they were, they, we were going from, will they be the number one team in the country to, are they going to make the tournament? They were reeling yeah. so bad for the last three and a half weeks. This team returned to exactly what we expected of them. And without a guy like Dylan Anhorn in the back end, I'd say if you're a Huskies fan, it's disappointing. You would have loved to have beaten the Gophers. Pretty hard to not want to hang your hat on what was otherwise a pretty good season for this hockey team. I would say that this group it gave us a pretty good run uh, and an opportunity at another national champ or at a first national championship, I should say. Yeah, I mean, and it's like we you know, we'll talk about this obviously, but you run into the number one team in the nation, who yeah. they're they're just a deep, like you mentioned, they're they're a wagon, right? You know, yeah. goaltending, uh, we you know, defense, the offense, we everybody knows that you know they've got some elite talent at essentially every position, um, and their goaltender, you know, doesn't have to be that great. I mean, he he made the saves that he had to be, but. A lot of the times, you know, the chances that the Huskies were getting, or I should say any team this year, I guess the Gophers were, were not high quality chances. That's just how this team is built. They're just built to win a national championship. Um, on the flip side of that, though, uh, Noah, uh, for those who were starting to scream fire Larson. Um, yeah. How do you how do you then explain the turnaround after losing a guy like Andrew, which is so dynamic in all zones on the ice right offensively defensively they took him some time but they figured it out right um that comes from obviously some buying from the players uh but also talk you know it, it goes to the coaching staff and trying to be positive you know you know continuing to you know shall we say get the reps in and you know play a certain way uh you know i i think we need to go back before the Duluth series. And like we mentioned, there was a lot of question marks if this team was even going to make the national tournament. Right. And then they got some momentum with Duluth. It took them three games. Uh, then they go on to win an NCHC frozen faceoff title. Um, and then, you know, they beat Mankato again, a team that yeah. certainly had their numbers circled that wanted some revenge from Pittsburgh and two, a couple of years ago and uh, for nothing. Right. And again, a, a little bit, shall I say, uh, not a full reflection of the way that game was. It can, you know, it could easily have been a much closer game. And it certainly was uh, when you watch it and then you run against to the golfers. Right. So for them to, to do what they did to lose such an integral player, figure it out. Yeah. And then to, to go on a run where, again, I keep going back to the Cooper scores that game, uh, that goal yeah. in, in that hockey game. We could yeah. talk about our trips to Tampa for, for all of intents and purposes. So, yeah, no, definitely would agree. Obviously, Grant Crookshank, what a great addition he was throughout the season. I saw a lot of go, go for faithful after that game, giving him hugs. And, you know, I think for me, obviously, Brendan Bushy, another graduate student who I thought had a really good weekend and really yeah. got better every year. I mean, he was a guy who was kind of in and out of the lineup to start the year a little bit mm -hmm. uh, and really kind of showed his medal as he went into the second half of the season. Aiden Spellacy, how about him? We talked about how he yeah. needed to have a better season than what he did last year, and he was a very key cog uh, in that bottom yeah. six for this team. Uh, Micah Miller, we already touched on him. Going to miss him. I, it's weird to think about a Huskies team without Micah in the lineup. Um, you know, and I, I, I would love to, in fact, I, we should go through his historical photos because I imagine the shoulders get broader and broader as the, as the years Quite go enough, along in the yeah. photos. I mean, he's, he's a guy that, uh, you know, he's not the biggest, he's 5'11", 205, but like you walk by him 
at the rink and it's like oh this dude's a tank like this dude is yeah. well built um and for a guy that to be built like that and have the speed that he has it's pretty impressive i think you know for me where it really hit home is watching uh you know all the guys obviously come back and talk to jackson caster before they get ready for the handshake line and we'll talk about him in a second but seeing Spencer Meyer go through that. And then he's the first one that's going to be in the handshake line. And you could see it. I, and, and every hockey player knows this feeling is you could see it where he kind of was standing in between the blue line and the top of the circle. And he looked down and he looked up and he started looking around and I'm like, Oh, you know exactly what's going through his head is he's like, this is the last time I'm going to pull on this Jersey. This is the last time I'm going to be in an NCAA hockey game. And, you know, kind of that slow skate up towards, towards the logo. It's just like for me, uh, you know, seeing that was where it really kind of set in where it's like the Husky season is done. But for some of these guys, it's a lot more than that. Yeah. Um, and Spencer Meyer, you know, the local kid, uh, you know, and we've talked about this on his show, a guy that faced a lot of adversity growing up as a child, obviously with a speech impediment too, and facing a lot of adversity, even in the college ranks, some of his interviews, people have made fun of him for interviews, even at the college level. And for those of us who have interviewed him personally and who know him and for him being a captain for multiple years on this team, like him especially your heart really hurts uh you know you know for that and then a guy like jackson caster a guy whose eligibility is up because of his one year at the club hockey level thanks to the kbsc guys for pointing that out for us by the way which is uh again even us i mean we miss things too i mean we're not perfect the ncaa rules are confusing but what wasn't confusing is Think about what Jackson Castor went through in the span of 12 months, being the yep. absolute scapegoat for that Huskies hockey team against Quinnipiac last year to being the guy that was almost unbeatable throughout mm -hmm. the last three weeks of the regular season. You hope he gets a shot at the next level because there's a guy who has been through, to be fair, hell and back, and back yeah. to get to this opportunity. He earned the net and he earned every opportunity and he gave his team a serious chance as did the rest of these guys, all six of them that for sure are not going to be back on this hockey team. So five fifth year or graduate players. And then of course a senior in caster who has lost that extra year of eligibility. I mean, what more can you say about this group, Nick? Oh boy. Um, not much. Right. Um, it sucks. Right. Uh, I know Spencer very, very well. Uh, in fact, we'll be releasing um, a documentary about exactly what we talked about here in the next probably yeah. five to six weeks. Um, still trying to tie down a couple of loose ends on that, but, uh, it's, it, it sucks, right? Cause these guys, I mean, St. Cloud hockey has never really had, shall we say the most high end talent. They're not going to have the big names. Uh, but what they do have is some of the, you know, the, the people have got class, they've got character and they still are really damn good hockey players. Um, they, they're a group that wins by committee. It's a tight locker room. And those guys that you mentioned that ran out of eligibility, holy hell, uh, they're great yeah. people. They really are. And I think that's what makes this sting for me. Like like you mentioned with Spencer Meyer, who uh, I know very, very well. And and, and just to, like you said, you can just you can catch those little subtleties when you're looking around the rink and mm -hmm. you know, after that final horn sounds. I mean, you can only imagine as you're on the bench and you're watching the the seconds run down, you know, in that final horn that's tough, man. And again, that's, that's a hell of a hockey squad that you have to go up against. And, hmm. you know, where the, what are the, what are the Huskies, uh, been, shall we say favored? Had they won that game going to the frozen four? Oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine, you know, what kind of, you know, shall we say, uh, propellant that would have gave them heading into, to, uh, to Tampa, even to a team like Boston university who was also playing some of its best hockey yeah. as of recent, but 
you got to tip your hats, man. This this Husky squad, uh, they went through quite a bit, you know, being one of the best teams in the country to really struggling to find out who they were again. They found it at the right time. They they battled together. They played a little bit differently. Everybody stepped up um, and nearly shocked the world again. Uh, just they ran into um, an in-state rival happens to be, uh, you know, was the favorite since essentially, what, day one heading into the season. And uh, they're still continuing the path. And I'll tell you this, if, if Minnesota goes on to win this thing, Hard to be, you know, look at that and say, oh, man, it still sucks. But losing to, the, you know, the eventual national champion that, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, I tell you that Minnesota team has a good look. And really, St. Cloud, I think they could have gotten through BU now on the other side. Quinnipiac's an interesting one in Michigan. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's a scary hockey team. That's so, obviously, scary. the Frozen Four still will bring some really good hockey here. And I think that if I could close really quickly on this, I know it's frustrating losing to the Gophers and I know it's easy to want to pick other people and you can cheer for whoever you want, but I've always been in the mind that if a team beats you, you root for them to, to kind of get the job done. You want to see if you're going to lose to a team, you want to lose to the team that goes all the way. And that Gophers team obviously has a very good chance. So obviously we're going to move on to the other side of this, which was how the Fargo regionals obviously got set up. Right. And mm-hmm. I, you know, that kind of talks about the bracket um, and really putting three Minnesota Two Minnesota powerhouses for sure, and Mankato was not far off, obviously, even though they had oh. what would be a down year by their standards, especially goaltending-wise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, oh. <laughs> well, I mean, what, Sorry, what else What else would it be? I, <laughs> I know, I know. Just the way that you phrased that was, uh, yeah, about that. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know. He, and Dryden's still up for the Richter, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But, you know, you look at Michigan, who... I, Penn State gave them a game, obviously. They did. But besides that, I mean, kind of had somewhat of an easy look to get to uh, the Frozen Four. Uh, the Quinnipiac Ohio State game gave us some some decency, and then uh, the Manchester Regional kind of hard to really qualify. But really, when you have a goal margin, you know, of minus forty eight for the losing teams or whatever it was, did the committee get this wrong, Nick, or is there more to this? You know. This question gets asked every year, right? And I, I think we're in a bit of an anomaly, honestly. And it's you, you have to look at the trends right now. I think the one thing that I'm curious of is 1v6, essentially in the regional, like that's that's a hype for either squad, right? I think St. Cloud and Minnesota, both if you would have just talked the numbers and not the squads would have had some issues with that with the region-wise, right? Um, but... This year presented with some challenges, right? You had how many Big Ten schools in this in, in here? How many? Yeah, a lot. Exactly. Uh, NCHC, which had been, shall we say, very successful, uh, they bowed out. In fact, the first time since their inception, they don't have a team in the Frozen Four. Uh, yeah. So that's yeah. that's quite the hell of a run, right? Um, three, three NCHC teams. We've got uh, is it four? I believe four Big Ten, four yep. Big Ten teams. Yeah, you got two so, ECAC teams. At least three. Sorry. No, two, yes. Well, I think it's three ECAC teams, and then you had two for sure, maybe three hockeys. I think it's two. And then one Atlantic hockey, obviously. Yep. So um, um, that's tough either way. And then when you look at the standings and, and you know, you know, regionals type stuff, I don't know if they get, I don't know if they got it wrong. Uh, because I know what, what it look, looks like a shooting goes. Like everybody just got napped up, but sometimes you, you get these, these years where the the top 10 teams this year were freaking good. Um, They were really, really good. And, you know, beyond 
10 or 11, look what happened to Michigan Tech, right? Uh, we we yeah. talked about how Michigan Tech, you know, opposite of what the Huskies had gone through, they were reeling at the very wrong time. Um, you know, going back to the uh, CCHA semifinal where they got destroyed by NMU, but even more so, there were lapses in their game, even against St. Thomas, um, you know, before yeah. the quarterfinals. So um, there were some warning signs there, too. So I don't know if you can say they got it wrong. Um, it, it, it just you know, looks that way, but you, you know, I think what it comes down to two CCHA teams, by the way, obviously them and Mankato. And I think Northern Michigan yeah. would have been an interesting entry had they been able to win their game, uh, in the it's championship because they were peaking at the right time, too. Um, and it would have been fun to see Alaska. And you know, it's unfortunate that they didn't obviously make the big dance, but I think what we're kind of seeing here and the, the whole conversation about the old WCHA is kind of going by the wayside at this point because now everybody the conversation is the Big Ten was the <laughs> conference to beat this year they were yeah the ncac had i don't want to say a down year but they had a year where really especially there was a lot of parody and it was really hard to yeah. see who was going to kind of rise from the ashes so to speak yeah. um the big 10 and i hate to say it huskies fans but the big 10 was far and away the best conference this year and they showed it in the ncaa's so again kind of to your point is this more of oh, well, this is kind of a difficult matchup as far as trying to find teams regionally or the fact that the Big Ten and, to a lesser extent, the NCHC are really stacked this year and we're trying to set the field in a way that, you know, kind of spreads these teams out because this one or two conferences has really given us some serious contenders this year. Or the latter, right? So, because imagine this, if it's St. Cloud to, let's just say that they didn't have the loss of Dylan Anhorn. Let's just say that St. Cloud's a top four team, right? Uh, with Minnesota being number one, they're not in that same regional. Yeah, right? they're, prob- they're probably where Denver is. They probably flip Probably, right? Yep. So, it, it just happened to be the, the just the dominoes kind of fell where they were, right? Um, and again, the NCHC and the Big Ten, a lot of teams out West, um, it was tricky, right? Um, and I know that the, uh, let's just say that the committee was asked about it. And the answers are never great, right? Because at yeah. the end of the day, is there really a great answer to it? No. I mean, I'm sure they went back and forth on a few different scenarios and, you know, they ran with what they thought they was was best. And at the end of the day, you know, they're going to get judged because those first round games looked so, you know, seesaw. They were so bad. But at the end of it, even if they did do that, let's say every game was close to say every single number once they get upset, then they're saying, Oh, well, did they get it wrong because the number one team's got their worst? You know, you know, so the conversation to me is a, is is it's gonna be there no yeah. matter what. Well, it's, it's, been, it's been a while too that we've seen three number one seeds come out of there too. I, I feel has. like you know, it's it kind of shows the parody in college hockey. Also, speaking of uh, Frank and Wally on the gopher uh radio broadcast, they also had Scott Sandlin on on the Saturday mm-hmm. uh game, I believe in between the second and third intermission. Um and he was of course was part of the committee and he was the biggest proponent of pushing for that extra day, that day of rest in case, you know, that late night game goes to five overtimes and suddenly you've got to turn around and play the next day, which I think is fantastic. It's exactly how yes. it should be. Um, you know, it the only thing for our show that stinks is it covers it on a Sunday, which obviously makes things more challenging. But um beyond that, I I you know, he obviously offers some very insightful pieces to this too. And there really is no easy answer. It's easy for us, I think, to sit here and play matchmaker. Now, do I think the bracket could have had, you know, maybe some small tweaks and adjustments that maybe would have helped its cause a little bit this year as opposed to others? Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying there isn't, but I, I don't think there's any easy answer, like you mentioned. No. Um, I think really what this comes down to, and we've had this discussion before, Nick, playoff field probably needs to be bigger. 
It, it does. Uh, it really does. Uh, and with Augustana coming into the fold at 62, again, there's the uh, the NCAA that wants to mandate half the field to be in the NCAA tournament. Um, I don't think college hockey would would win with that, but I do think we're at least 20 to 24 teams uh, that deserve a shot. Now, whether there's a play-in you know, for like a four seed that has to happen or something else, but... I think we're there. And you know what? When you talk about growing the game, which I think all of us want and are favoring for, if that's what you're looking for and more intrigue, I mean, how about this? Imagine a play-in game. You know, let's go back to the Los Angeles Kings of the NHL back in 2012, right? Yeah. Uh, you have a play-in, uh, a play-in squad that gets a fourth seed. They're playing the one. Then all of a sudden, you get an upset. Holy heck. You, you want some drama. You want some intrigue. Yeah. There's a lot of pieces there. And more so, you know, I, I think we're there with the depth of talent where you can expand now, again, how does that take place? You know, what yeah. that you mean, like? you mean something like where maybe the maybe something where like the number twelve to the number twenty teams in the country play a three game set to see who are the four seeds for the twelve through no. sixteen spots or something? No, you know, it like, wouldn't be because when you get the NCAA tournament single elimination, you're not going to be able to play a three okay, game so, set. Okay, so single game elimination, but the problem is you're going to have to have an extra weekend or an extra time allotted for that. Oh. That doesn't that doesn't unnecessarily hinder the other teams that have made the big dances for their at-large bids too um or do you have them start monday tuesday right as like the um shall we say not yeah. not a not not a knock but more to you know try to make it a little and, bit more challenging and plus you have to factor in your conference tournaments and on top of that too so a lot yeah. of challenges i think that people you know for us on the outside looking in can say oh yeah like they should have done this and this and this but like okay what's the logistical challenge of this we've talked about this expanding the field for two minutes and look already we're hitting roadblocks right like yep. there's a challenge i think the simple conversation is you expand the you double the field you do what the ncaa basketball tournament has done um but then there's the conversation are you letting too many teams in? and now there's not enough parody because your opening games are all like what we had this year where there are 10 goal spreads. Right. So yep. um, I, I think the challenge is uh, obviously massive um, for the sake of time, Nick, yep. uh, we're going to move on over to the player moves here. We'll probably, we'll touch on the wild to finish the regular portion of the show, but it'll just be a small tidbit. We're going to be on the wild for the next two months, obviously. So Hopefully. they're going to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, I guess I shouldn't speak too It'll soon. be three weeks if it goes wrong. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Um, well, let's talk about some NCAA player moves here. Um, of course, on the men's side, we've got a bunch of NHL commits here. Uh, of course, a big one, uh, Harvard, Matthew Coronado heading to Calgary, the first rounder. Uh, the Flames could desperately need him. They are on the outside looking in, and they don't have a great shot to make the big dance. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, Sean Farrell from Harvard also going to Montreal as well. Western Michigan, Max Sasson to Vancouver as a free agent. I kind of like this pickup for Vancouver. There is another Western Michigan body that is on the market that I believe a team close to home is – yeah, uh, yeah. Taking a look at uh yep. Yep. Uh, so uh keep an eye on that one, but a good pickup for Vancouver. North Dakota, Tyler Clevin, of course, signing with Ottawa. That Senators pipeline has now run dry for a North Dakota club that I believe is losing seven of its eight or nine defensemen heading into next season. The transfer portal was dipped in maybe a bit too deep for that program, um, unfortunately. Uh Colorado College, I love this signing. Um, Hunter McCallan, uh yep. you know, heading, I believe, to Colorado. Is it Colorado Columbus. or Columbus? Columbus. Columbus. I don't know yeah. why I put COL. It should be CBJ. Nice one, Noah. Say, I'm like, that didn't that didn't sound right. Um, but boy, what a season he had. What a great release. He's a guy that could probably play right out of the gate, I think. Uh, you know, at least moving into next season. Um, 
Yeah, it's he, he's got a release. It's more of the rounding out of his game away from the puck, right? That's something that uh, Coach Chris Mayot had discussed um, even before that. You know, he was calling teams after last year and saying, hey, you need to take a look at this guy. And he, he wasn't really getting much attention. And then this year, again, he continues to develop and he's actually putting things, some things together. So uh, we know he's got the release. We saw it, uh, but it's more about the other things with the game, again, being in the right spot, uh, making the right reads. And that part of his game did finally develop this year. And uh, yeah. hey, look, it, it got him a look and it's got him a contract. And he's already got an assist under his belt, his first pro point with the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, uh, I think it was a couple of nights ago. So, yeah. Doing all right. Certainly is. Uh, Northeastern, Devin Levi, the netminder to Buffalo. We talked about this about a week ago. Uh, Arizona, Josh Doan, of course, staying in the building. Uh, Arizona, (laughs) the Coyotes. um, No surprise there, obviously. It's a different locker room from what I hear. Yeah, maybe a little bit nicer, but uh, depends, honestly. I don't know. Um, Anyway, uh, so I'm curious to see how he kind of fits in down there in that organization. And then five others, Providence, Brett Berard to New York, um, and the Rangers, Wisconsin's Carson Kuhlman's to Colorado, Notre Dame's Ryder Rolston to Chicago, UConn, Ryan, um, is it it Verberg or Verberg, however you'd say it, to Toronto, and then Bowling Green, um, Anton Malmstrom, the sophomore, to St. Louis as a free agent. So those are your NHL signings. We'll probably try to update that list every week if we see something new, I think, and dive more in depth. But we're about two weeks into this, so we're kind of trying to recuperate from both of those. Um, as far as transfer portal things are concerned, uh, Michigan State apparently is the place to be. Um, yeah, Duluth forward, Isaac Howard, a freshman to wow. Michigan State. Uh, boy, that hurts the Bulldogs. There's yeah, does. no doubt about that. Interesting. It, like, would you think that he would want to jump ship that early? Like Red Savage as a sophomore going to Michigan State from Miami. I get it. Yeah. Miami struggled. I know Duluth didn't have the greatest year, but did that Isaac Howard move surprise you? Or it surprised a lot of people. But what yeah. does surprise me is it's not that it's the school, but the coach, Adam Nightingale, already right? both yeah. these uh, both these uh, players actually both uh, you know, Savage from Miami and they played under Nightingale under the development program for Team USA. So there's connections there. And uh, let's just say this Isaac Howard, uh, for a guy that came in with all the hype was anything but uh, he looks like he struggled again, and not to not to say that the team did struggle also, but another freshman, Ben Steves, was the one carrying the weight for UMD. Uh, yeah. And just maybe he thought it wasn't maybe a fit. Uh, he definitely was uh, closer to the bottom of the lineup on most nights too. Um, hard to make sense of it because you know you always wonder if there's anything behind the scenes. Um, you know, especially for a group that's led by Scott Sandlin, yeah. uh, he's a respected coach, right? So uh, to me, there's some question marks uh, more off the ice. Now, granted, I'm not saying I know anything. I'm I'm, I'm trying to say I'm actually curious if there is because it, it definitely feels that kind of way. You, yeah. You, Scotland doesn't lose lose players to the transfer portal, especially with a high caliber of talent. Without there being something else at play, um, other than maybe he wanted more ice time, and you know probably there was a reason why he didn't get it. We'll see how Michigan State uses him and if he's able to rebound. But uh, that that one I think caught a lot of people off guard for sure. Yeah, we we'll definitely agree. Colorado College forward Noah um, Prokop uh, is headed for his graduate transfer to St. Thomas. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting too. I think that CC Tigers program, there might not be a scholarship available for him and that might be what it comes down to. We'll have to see, but, uh, yeah, the Tigers team intriguing as always, uh, three others in the portal, Cam Berg from Omaha. He's a sophomore. Brian Silver from Miami is a junior and Barrett Brooks, a freshman from Western Michigan. These are all forwards that are in the portal that are notable from the NCHC. 12 other players have moved. Um, in the transfer portal already, most out east of the CCHA, so we won't cover those. But um, go to the rink live uh, 
Uh, Brad Schlossman does the men's side. And of course, our very own uh, Sid Wolf on the women's side covering a lot of these things. The two big ones at a St. Cloud that we know on the women's side, Courtney Hall and Chase Sperling are both headed to Robert Morris. In fact, Sperling yeah. was at Robert Morris, came here, and then is now Go back. On, How about that? Um, so as far as other notable names, and Sid does a fantastic job. It's so cool to see her Excel spreadsheet turn from being that Excel spreadsheet to having like an actual like beautiful it's like web version. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 awesome. So uh, like other WCHA pieces here, there's two from Bemidji State on the women's side, Reese Hunt and Claire Vekic, um, that are both in their 12 and 7 points, respectively, a senior and a sophomore that played in pretty much every game this season. Shockingly, no one from Minnesota. Um, or or Duluth for that matter, two from Minnesota state, excuse me, three, a third name has been added. So Cala Frank, the netminder, uh, the senior netminder, and then Kelsey King, 19 points in 34 games. I tell you what, if you're St. Cloud, you got to be looking all over that one because a heck of a player that she is. And Anna Wilgren, the defenseman three games for her, um, as a senior Ohio state, this intrigued me quite a bit. Um, so, uh, Two BC transfers coming in for them, Hannah Bilka and Kayla Barnes, who had 41 and 19 points respectively. Um, BC's leading scorer for Bilka, um, Team USA as well. And then also an Olympian for Team USA was Kayla Barnes. So, geez, that Buckeyes team, they must have been a little bitter about losing. I think so. And they're <laughs> uh, they're reloading with some big-time talent. They're going to be a team to watch in uh, next year, put it that way. Yeah, and Emerson Jarvis, um, Galli uh, Levi or Le- Levi, um, Jamie Grinder, Sydney Morrow, and Elena GM Petro. Um, 20 games played, 5 2, 34, and 0 for three, excuse me, four freshmen and a sophomore. Uh, of course, the freshman in Sydney Morrow was a former U18 player for Team USA. So it looks like some players may be kind of sensing the writing on the wall and trying to jump ship. And I think if you're St. Cloud again, especially with the amount of bodies you might be losing, yeah. you're looking at this list, especially, of course, the Huskies. Um, Still with their crew here, um, seven total on this list. Two of them already gone, uh, both the Robert Morris, obviously. Courtney Hall, 15 points for her on the season. And then Sperling only played in one game this year on the back end. St. Thomas, just Jenna Hartong, like we talked about, a senior that had one point in 22 games on the forward side. And then Wisconsin, Mason Toff, junior defenseman, 19 games played for her, only one point on the back end. This is I don't know if this is a playing time thing, but 19 games is not exactly not playing at all per right. se. Um, so, and that kind of rounds things out for the WCHA. Like we talked about, I think we're going to dive into this a lot more as we go uh, kind of into next week and the week after. So apologies for the time piece here. Um, Nick, is there anything you want to add or do you want to jump over to the wild here? No, it's, it's early, right? That's the thing is, you know, there's a lot of players that are going in. Uh, you're, you're, so there's, there's that news, but again, you're gonna you're it's gonna be a few weeks before we start seeing players uh shall we say find a new home. And as we saw last year too, there's a lot of players that towards even August that still did not have a place to play. So um it's it's gonna be a month long process. Um we'll see so what some of those big names like Red Sat, you know, what uh, some of those that you know, right. like Kim Berg, I should say, um, you know, go into this type of thing. So uh something that we'll be watching uh and we'll kind of go from there. So yeah, certainly agree. Last topic in the main portion of the show, we'll just briefly touch on them and kind of get you primed and ready for the next week here. The Minnesota Wild sit alone in the first place spot in the Central Division. They're actually playing Seattle right now. And in typical Huskies Warming House podcast, I'm going to push the envelope until we finally get a winner here. They're up to nothing halfway through the game. So hopefully they can hang on because every time we say that, they don't. Um, 
42, 22, and 9 with 93 points in the season. They're one point ahead of second and third in the Central above Colorado and Dallas, respectively, entering tonight's matchup on Monday. Five points out of the first place team, which is Seattle in the wild card, so a victory tonight would help. And then eight points out of second in the in the wild card, um, which is Winnipeg. So I believe the wild, they only need a couple more wins to cement their spot in the playoff picture wherever they're going to end up. Plus 21 goal differential for them. Um, they were plus two differential this past week. Two to one overtime victory in the dying seconds, literally. Matt Boldy on a breakaway oh, in New Jersey. Oh, and then nice. a five. Yeah, and then a five to four overtime loss in Philly and a three to one victory against Chicago on Saturday. So of course they have Seattle tonight, Colorado at home on Wednesday, and then they have Vegas on the road Saturday before coming back home, I believe, on Monday to face them again. So kind of a home and home for them. The Wild, six, one, and three in their last ten. They've got nine games left, including Seattle's tonight. Um course colorado dallas and winnipeg all chasing them and kirill kaprizov is still not skating yet what do we make of the minnesota wild uh so their magic number right now if they win tonight hold on a regulation would be three that's yeah. it to clinch a spot because calgary has already played game number 74 uh minnesota playing number 74 as we speak again up two to nothing over the kraken and uh how big is this uh calgary 81 points with eight games remaining that means 16 points that they could take home that's yeah. seven points um with any tiebreakers you get to 98 points so the wild again with they win they would go to 95 points so really uh, two more wins is what they need if they're able to hold on to tonight in the way they've been playing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you're saying hard. you're saying basically six points. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And hopefully yeah. it's four after tonight. That would be really nice. Uh, yeah. yeah, this wild team continues to ride the Gus bus. Marc-Andre Fleury looks good. Uh, Matt Boldy, his resurgence has been noted. <laughs> yeah. And scored tonight also from a great Fieben Johansson. And holy cow, is he making himself a case ex- to be resigned this offseason? Exactly. That's exactly where I was going is my final thought on this. So, of course, like I said, we're going to dive deep into the Minnesota Wild in the in the next month or two just because they're going to be the team to talk about, obviously, for us. Um, the trade deadline acquisitions, people were poo-pooing them all over the place here, and I tell not you us. what. Not us. <laughs> wow. Bill Guerin knew what he was talking about. Who would have thought? Oh, my goodness. Now, did they get a little bit lucky with the fact that they had to adjust for Kirill Kaprizov's absence and they found lightning in a bottle a little bit without him right mm-hmm. now? Sure. But – you got to have the right mix. And how about the fact, Kirill Kaprizov not skating, Gustav Nyquist is. Gustav Nyquist is. And how about this, Noah? And I think we haven't talked about this enough. The fact that this team right now, as it currently sits, number one in the Central Division, right? And um, let's ask this. So this team, as well as they've been playing, and they have got how much dead cap money over $12 million? It you know that doesn't really get brought up enough, right? You know the, the angle is they've got to make this work and whatnot. Almost thirteen million dollars of money they cannot use, and this team is a division leader with seven games remaining on their schedule after tonight. That is nuts. And it's add an, and add another mill next year, which essentially Two. you get yeah. I say you get 14. one point seven. You get one million dollars in cap relief next year, and all of that goes to. Dead yeah, cap space. Hansen, basically. Yeah. Um, and, and I think if there's one narrative that we'll get, a, you know, we'll talk about eventually after all this is done is how this team somehow stayed competitive yet being down nearly 15 and $13 million for four seasons. That's insane. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. 
imagine what happens when your back's up against the wall and you know you don't call your players lizards um <laughs> anyway you know what's funny though we talked about this it, say what you want about paul fenton as a human being and like how he treats his staff honestly probably was one of the biggest catalysts for pulling the trigger on some of these moves that chuck fletcher was afraid to do um yeah. yes, you know he was and he was able to kind of ride that out a little bit. And really, if it wasn't for dead cap, Kevin Fiala would still be here. Um, he would still be here. Um, you you kind of wonder, you know, if, well, and maybe, maybe not. And here's why I say that, because um, there's obviously a big hole through the middle of the ice, right? You kind of wonder if, you know, they maybe did a different bridge contract with Fiala, he would still be here. But maybe they go out and get a bigger number one center, right? With maybe some of the savings. And you kind of wonder, too, with the way the contracts are being, shall we say, laid out in terms of the graphical side. You know, they're giving themselves, A, a lot of cap space. Because remember that when these two uh, $14.7 million seasons expires, goes whose final year of the contract it is. It's Kaprizov's, right? Yeah. And to keep him happy, number one, this team has got to be a playoff contender, which right now they, they're looking really good. Yeah. Uh, but number two, I think you need to make a big splash. I do think that they're going to have to go out and get a big time center. It's not going to be Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid, but you know, you never know what's out there. And I think they're going to give themselves uh, a lot of that. Also a big reason why we're seeing why Bill Guerin and some of these moves, you have to come back to this year. They're not giving up first or second round picks. You're going to need those two during that time. If you're going to have some roster turnover, which will likely happen. Yeah. Uh, so that way you got picks and you got money to spend. They're and setting we, themselves off quite well. And we talked about Brock Faber potentially adding to this lineup. I tell you what, if it's an, if it's a reasonable price, you know who the wild would really miss right now. And I still think should really resign it's Matt Dumba. And I think there's a chance there. I really do think there's yeah. a chance. Um, he's been playing exceptionally well, and he's been very consistent. Look at his stat line, people. Say what you want about him. Numbers don't lie. No, and you kind of wonder, too, if that's something Bill Guerin will try to leverage You know, during the offseason. Um, I would imagine they've maybe kicked the tires at the idea. I can't imagine that they haven't. Because um, if you're able to do it, here's the problem. Matt Dunn was going to command more money on the open market than he probably would get offered here. So, yeah. but does he take a, does he take a discount to stay here? And if he does, does that allow a guy like Brock Faber, who is an extremely talented young defenseman, uh, some seasoning in the AHL, right? Uh, does Marco Rossi next year, he's not coming up this year. People put that to bed. Uh, yeah. But does that give him the opportunity to get to a spot to earn him a roster spot and keep it next year? I don't know. Right. There's still a lot to be had, but here's the thing. The wild got pieces in the pipeline. And uh, let's just say they're building towards a, a future without any cap hell per se. And then hopefully, yeah. uh, you know, Stanley Cup championship, maybe we'll see. Yeah, wouldn't be a bad day at the office here. Of course, we're here to cover it all. Men's hockey, of course, done frozen for April 6th and April 8th. Women's hockey done as well. The Minnesota Wild have three games coming up this week, one of which is happening right now as we speak. Did we do the Huskies Warming House podcast curse again? Find out when the show releases tomorrow on Tuesday. So, um, And, of course, the Iowa Wild still sitting a couple points ahead in fourth place. They've got seven games remaining for them as well, too. So keep an eye on all of it uh, as we head on to the extra ice session here in just a few moments. And welcome into the extra ice session. Nick Maxson alongside myself, Noah Grant here. We just gave you a rundown of uh, games and other things that are going on. So if you missed that, definitely click back about 15 or 20 seconds and you'll get kind of a nice little recap here. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Fanatics. They're the new NHL thread supplier here. Oh, boy. People are not happy. Um, no. <laughs> so here's kind of some background here. Obviously, they're going to replace Adidas um, after next season. So 2024-25 is going to be the first year. Um, Adidas has been here since 2017. Reebok was the group for a long time. 
from 2000, Florida. I believe is yeah, 2005. Yep, yep, 2005. Um, so this is what that's what my notes say. Now, is that credible? Who's to say? Um, but yes. <laughs> um, with that being said, um, the big issue with fanatics, and there's a guy called um, I think it's the hockey guy or the jersey, I think it's the hockey guy on YouTube, and that's what he does is he he reviews like jerseys. That's kind of what he does. He's got like a million jerseys that he reviews. Um, and it's interesting. He kind of talked about the different styles and says, you know, the Reebok and the CCM jerseys that are for a lot of the junior teams in, in that kind of era have been the two best jerseys in terms of what you're getting, especially from a fan value perspective. Because let's not forget the, the jerseys that Adidas makes and soon to be fanatics that may that are going to be made for the actual players are not the same jerseys that get sold. No, when it when it comes to commercial pieces, here's people, the thing though, and I know I've been no mean to interject, but they're yeah. using the same factory as the Adidas factory. That, and I think that's got to be said um, because I, it's it's an odd point, but I, I think we're going with this. Uh, Noah, is that the, the biggest complaint about the fans is when they've ordered these jerseys in the past. Let's just say they've they've, yeah. they've missed a few of them. Bad, they've had some bad ones. What that and they, way. and they've talked about how like Starter used to make jerseys for fans for a while, and those were a real struggle with the weird little bubble logos that kind of peeled off. Really, Fanatics doesn't really have a great track history as to making jerseys that you know are kind of durable. You have, of course, numbers and names that have been wrong, as you've seen on Twitter over the past week. Um, but I think fans are concerned because for people who are Jersey connoisseurs, we should get the Tin Man, uh, Tinner Heath, on this honestly uh, yeah, and talk absolutely. about how a lot of people have said that fanatics is probably one of the worst or cheaply made materials in some time since really that time when Reebok, you know, and CCM and all of them were kind of in the mix in the hockey world, essentially in the late two thousands, early 2010s, especially. Um, and fanatics seems like they're going to be here to stay for a while. Um, yeah. yeah. 10 years. Uh, what do we make of all this? Uh, one, oh, should the NH- yeah. should the NHL teams themselves be concerned about the Jersey quality? Cause it doesn't seem like there's some no. qualms from the players, especially on the Adidas side of things. Now, how is Adidas doing on the other commercial side of things and how is fanatics prepared to, they've already kind of entered that market, but now they're going to be the sole possessor of that market. Uh, you know, it's the NHL tripping over their, their own, knee again is what it comes down to and yes oh, is, oh, yeah is, is that what they're chirping on? that's that's what they're chirping you but know, no, knowing, knowing, knowing the nhl it's probably the more likely of the two actually yes so the, the the comments that we're seeing uh is that this has kind of been trending this way because you know what was it fanatics had been kind of entering into the retail market with nhl gear not just jerseys but other sort of memorabilia uh they have stands at nhl arenas so the writing was sort of on the wall and uh, it became pretty apparent a couple of years ago when the NH- when the NHL tried to re-engage in contracts with Adidas, and they were like, "Nope." Right? Here's what's concerning to me: a ten-year deal. Yeah. That's a lot. Um, and it, we've we've seen this before, right? Uh, AKA Parisian suitor. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but actually, um, when you lock yourself into a you know a multi-year deal, that's a decade, right? That doesn't even begin for another year. And you're having these concerns from the fans, right? These are very loyal fans that will spend money on jerseys, right? Um, and if they're poorly made, um, yeah, exactly, one or two, right? Oh, oh, yeah. look at you, fanatics, right? Yeah, you know it's. I mean, I don't know. You know what? In, Sorry to cut you off, but you, uh, by the way, whose jersey is this? Any idea? Spurgeon. No, it's Jason Zucker. Is that Zucker? Um, it's not the six. I it was a, yeah. yeah. I, you know, you know what's interesting though. Like when I feel the material, and like I've I've worn a few hockey jerseys in my day. Um, but 
it kind of it kind of reminds me a little bit of and I, I can't remember if this is i think this is the midline one the one that they offer for like 130 or whatever it's like it's like yeah. not the cheap one but not the like super it's expensive iron on logo right it's official not- whatever for like 300 bucks that is just an absurd price for a fan jersey don't buy it um or do whatever um but uh you know longevity of the nhl if you want the salary cap to go up maybe you should spend more money wild fans um but like when i kind of feel the material there I mean, it feels like a heavy material, but it also feels like a material that doesn't really breathe all that well Mm -hmm. and kind of just like they made it heavier and stronger for the sake of making it heavier and stronger versus those who know good jerseys that are strong but durable breathe really well. And this jersey doesn't feel like it breathes really well. This, of course, is the GA jersey from the Huskies, and it's the same where it feels kind of almost – like the same durability, but it doesn't feel as thick. It doesn't feel like if I wore it as a player, I'd be sweating like crazy. It feels like it still breathes, but it's not going to tear when people step on it and that sort of thing. And of course, GA has been the jersey supplier for a lot of college teams as well, too. So you start to notice these little difference uh, differences in things. I don't know. I don't know. Right. Um, to me, it's another money grab by the NHL. Um, that's that's just kind of how they've been. Wonder Gary yeah. Batman for a multitude of reasons. So yeah. make, make it cheaper and try to sell as many as you can. Right. Much, right. Um, so another thing we learned, right, is, um, you know, mind you, the NHL holds, you know, and that's been the biggest misconception is, oh, my gosh, Adidas and the reverse retros. And no, that's an NHL like, trademark. Right. Yeah. Um, now, the one change that we might see and something that we've been floating uh, and I, when I say we mean the league is uh, more alternate jerseys, right? A permanent like third rotator. I know Dallas kind of does that right now already, uh, but can they do something like that? That's been floated because again, that's not owned by the by the manufacturer. It's the league that has all the rights and yeah. jersey design, so it doesn't matter who does it. Uh, but the reverse retros are done. They were never yep. meant to be. Uh, shall we say continuous? There, there's no way you could do a one-off jersey. We've talked yep. about this in the and past. It, it just it's that. It just sounds like from a lot of sources that the NHL has said, fanatics, you guys are taking over. Come up with something creative. Come up with something that is going to be effective, that kind of marks you as the brand that comes in, you know, for NHL hockey here. I I guess if I had to kind of pull you here, like scale of one to 10, because we know how good the Reebok jerseys were, especially they were the practice jerseys too for the longest time. I mean, they they were the OG as far as being sustainable. Adidas hasn't done bad. I think they get a hard time, but I don't think they've done bad scale of well i guess zero to ten if we're doing the true nursing pain scale here yeah how do we feel about fanatics being the new nhl jersey supplier i think based on what we've seen for the fans i think they're at a three i mean honestly i'm gonna go with four yeah they're 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 nervous right and you know you, you hope that the stories that are being shown you know compared to the ones that we don't see, which are the ones that they get it right, is you know much wider gap than we like to think. Uh, but you know, I would hope that the NHL, and you would imagine if the NHL signed a tenure deal, money talks sometimes, right? That yeah. you know, part of it was we've seen this before, this can't happen. Um, and you kind of wonder with some of these contracts, is there an out clause or is there something else? Because again, the NHL is still a is a is a ticket driven revenue league as well as their merchandise. And you know darn well if the jerseys, if we start seeing a lot more of those jerseys that are ended up wrong, um, that's going to cause the NHL some di- some some uh, some some bad ill ill will, right? So at, yeah. at the end of it, we'll see what happens. But I think you know they're going to want to make sure that those are not uh, those types of situations aren't happening. 
And that's where, you know, you look at the NHL, right? You, you pay less to try to have this jersey supplier come in so you can save money, but still try to sell the same amount of jerseys for cheaper um, in terms of the quality, the cost, essentially, the production cost. But then you sell it for the same price and the same amount uh, and try to, you know, recuperate your losses from the COVID years by doing that in some senses. I'm just going to go to the old adage that my dad and I restore old pickup trucks together. I'm just going to go to the old adage. You get what you pay for. Um, yeah. And this seems like a prime case of that. So we're going to have to see anything else you want to add. You know, and they're they have they have a lot to prove, right? I think yes, that's where a lot of fans are at. Is you know they're apprehensive. Uh, I think you're going to see an initial drop in sales because I think they're going to be waiting to see others that take that jump per se and say, oh, mm, I don't want to drop even 130 bucks, right? Um, it's still a lot for some families, especially if it's you know something for their kid. It's it's not a cheap endeavor, and they yeah. want to make sure. And lastly, you know, there's some quality to it. And again, like you said, you get what you pay for, yeah. but you also don't want it to rip apart and you know, a week's worth of use, which yeah. I think is the big fear right now. So a lot to prove, but uh, if they uh, step up their game or they're able to get consistent quality, then maybe it'll be okay. And like you said, I mean, you know, if you pay a hundred bucks for a Jersey, maybe you don't get the high end one and that's fine. But if you're going to pay 300, 350, you got to get a nice Jersey. I think it just goes without saying, but that's the thing. Yep. If you want to see a lot of jerseys in action, of course, Frozen Four, like we mentioned, in two weeks, women's hockey is done. Minnesota Wild, three games this week, including tonight's action, and the Iowa Wild, seven games remaining as they cling on to fourth place in the Central in the AHL. For Nick Maxson, I am Noah Grant, and we will see you soon for a very jam-packed episode 156. And your one-timer coming, they score! She scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.